0: Learn more at marines.com. Hey everyone, John Wertham here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast, our last podcast of the year. Jamie is joining me. Uh, we have already dispensed awards and handed out uh, various honors. We've toasted the six players who won majors in 2020 in this crazy year. We have uh good farewell to the Bryan brothers. We've lamented the strangeness of this rotation around the sun. We have looked forward to 2021. So let's just kind of do an all-out wrap. Jamie, how are you? How goes uh, in your parts? Are you dusted with snow as we are here in New York?
1: It is a little bit more than a dusting here, but uh, we are warm inside, staring. It's still coming down, but we are we are all good here.
0: I can always tell the rhythm of the tennis season based on emails and press releases I'm sent. And when there are no tournaments uh, on the calendar, when there are no matches being played, uh, they, they tend to get sort of increasingly Distant from tennis itself, uh, it's been a while since I've gotten a press release about uh, an actual tournament result or uh, a, a match result. So let's let's just kind of take final inventory of twenty twenty one. Of twenty twenty, then spin this forward to twenty twenty one. Are there um, any any sort of enduring memory? If you, were, if you were going to encapsulate this strange year in uh, in in one image, uh, what would it be? <laughs>
1: in one image that is hard i I would say if that was the case an empty an empty stadium an empty arena but i think i think for me um you did this a little bit in your mailbag but i i kind of have to agree with you that i i feel like all in all uh 2020 was terrible of course across the board but uh for tennis i do think that the sport distinguished itself uh in many ways and i think that for a lot of the players that, you know, we have been talking about for years now, um, it was really nice to see a lot of those players break through in different ways. I think, of course, Dominic Team, you know, had finally won his first major, and, you know, he had a really strong year across the board, uh, you know, 27 years old, finally gets to his high ranking, gets that major, and, you know, it's all done at that First tournament back first major we have Naomi Osaka of course who not only added to her her major hall here but then she found her voice and you know used it and and used it well and I think um you know we can talk a little bit more about her but you have Sophia Kennan again same thing someone who we talked about who is young and she you know kind of proved again that she is here and you know she's 22 22 years old, but her her first major win was not a fluke. And, uh, you know, the list goes on. I think, um, again, these are players that we've been talking about and it was good to see them all break through, you know, re-cement themselves and kind of redefine their careers uh, this year in 2020, such an important year for everyone.
0: Uh, Can I give you my my, my off-court analog to that? Uh, Well, I mean, I, I think we're all waiting to see which of these changes are stopgap in, in that I just means I mean, I mean, this in life and not just in tennis, uh, but we, which of these are going to be a new way of life. So are, are zoom going to replace office and are we all going to be enjoying outdoor dining going forward and how much of this is just, uh, an emergency measure and how much does this harden into our new reality? And I think in tennis, we have the same thing that we haven't had a lot of match results, um, I'm, I'm glad you hit on the ones we did, and I think we did have some, some really good tennis, but I think a lot of the discussion has been about how do we broadcast the sport? How do we travel? The Australian Open is going to have qualifying in Doha, and then charter private planes for everyone to then quarantine in Australia. And we have events moving, and we've experimented with, with different formats for tennis. And I think if, if any good has come out of this year, it has been that tennis has finally decided to innovate, to cooperate, it's not always been perfect, but I think there's been a real sort of spirit of, of enterprise that hasn't always been around in this sport, and some of this was necessity, uh, some of this was just trying to salvage events and put some some money in players' pockets, but I do really hope that this spirit of enterprise, and we can do things a little bit different, and we can we can break some models, and we can defy conventional wisdom, and we can try and shift some dates around and if, if Miami has to be played for one year in the Middle East, so be it. And if Indian Wells gets moved to October and everybody stops in the desert on their way to or from China, so be it. I, I hope that this is one of the legacies of this this unhappy year is that tennis has a lot more pliability and it is a lot more nimble and has, has the joke of its flexibility on the court. It can do the splits. And... I do think that if if any good comes out of this year, apart from what you say, that the emergence of Dominic Team was great and Naomi Osaka and and Rafa and Djokovic, I mean, there were were some really towering moments on court. But I do think, to me, one of the great sort of, I I hope, enduring legacies of this horrible year is that tennis has proven that it's a lot more nimble than than perhaps we thought and perhaps it thought. Um, So I, I guess we'll sort of... You know, again, there's, there's a lot of, we, we can use that to transition to 2021. There are still a lot of unanswered questions about uh, the schedule, about rankings, about where the Tokyo Olympics factor into uh, this, this year that's already growing complicated. But um, I, I do think there was a real spirit of cooperation and, and of I would say ingenuity, but you know, of, of enterprise that we haven't I always have seen in tennis. but before we spend the 2021, I, I do want to ask you, because you were so um, intimately involved in the sports person of the year, um, the whole rollout that, that we did at Sports Illustrated. I think we talked last week or the week before about Naomi Osaka was one of the honorees and, and Martina Navratilova um, wrote a terrific piece. I, I wanted to get your take on, on Naomi, the award, and sort of where do you see her fitting into not just tennis, but the sports landscape the sports tableau in
1: 2020. Yeah yeah so sports person of course we had uh, uh, five winners across the board but it was great to see Naomi there you know another another tennis player we had Serena a few years back so always great to see tennis players honored uh, you know with our, our end of the year award and the award's really about a, a, a mixture of on court off court you know athletic achievement and sportsmanship and That sportsmanship uh, this year, of course, was very much focused on the activism these athletes were doing, and I think we've talked about this before. But with Naomi, um, the most impressive thing for me is just her maturity. I think you think back to, especially at the U.S. Open, um, you know, when she, there was, you know, uh, you think back to her essentially in tears on the court, you know, in the post-match interviews with Serena and how that first major title for her was just so marred by that whole situation and um, how she was very timid and unable to really um, express herself and she was overwhelmed and, you know, rightfully so. Uh, And, and, you know, I think that contrasted with this year's U.S. Open. Um, You can just, you really see the maturity um, and you can really see i think you know one of the the phrases that martina used uh in her piece was that she she began to understand the power of of her fame and of her platform and i think that for me was the most important and the most interesting aspect of it all is that you know that's something we don't really talk about and it's something that you know she her coach teaches her you know how to how to you know fix her, her serve and, and better forehands and backhands and fitness and all these things are so calculated, but that's, that's something that's really, um, you know, it's, it's an intangible and it's, it's something that a lot of players, a lot of athletes across the board struggle with, you know, how do you manage these this sudden influx of, of finances and the fame and, you know, uh, people and cameras, you know, swarming you wherever you go and the, the social media aspect. I mean, there's so many aspects of fame that we don't um, think about. Uh, and I think for Osaka to see her use her platform and grow and mature in such a um, you know, quick way and then to use it in such a striking way this year uh, was just really remarkable. So, you know, like, like Martina wrote that, you know, she, she never asked to be in the spotlight and I don't think she really ever enjoyed that, but uh, you know, winning those, those two U.S. Opens, she, she kind of embraced it this year. And I think uh, it was really, really great to see.
0: I think one thing that made, um, Made it so powerful was that it wasn't performative, that you did not have a sense this was was curated. Mm-hmm. This was just like this is how I feel, and I'm going to act upon how I feel. Uh, do you have any sense where this goes from here? I mean, I think that's one. you know, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of 2021 questions are sort of where what's this going to look like going forward? And at some level, I think sort of the, the new Naomi Osaka. I don't know if you've seen the, the 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 Vogue cover. I know there's a documentary being shot. I mean, I this was not a one-off i mean there there is going to be sort of some some additional chapters here do do you have a sense of what this looks like going forward what naomi osaka how she is going to uh present in 2021
1: yeah i mean listen she's getting older and she you know i think it was in may she became the the highest paid you know she surpassed serena for, for the highest paid female athlete i think I think she is going to continue to grow, and, as you said, the fact that the fact that this has already been made something I think makes it really hard to um see where she'll go with this you know because this year seemed as you said just very natural, and i I wonder if she feels now a pressure to you know speak up or um speak out on certain issues going forward, so I think that's the biggest question will um will be how she's going to uh, react to all of this, you know, especially on the court. Um, I think, you know, this to me, reminds me very much of uh, of Serena, um, you know, being put in a lot of different situations over the course of her career where she, you know, had to speak up and she was also on all of these covers and, you know, whether it was Vogue or SI, you know, she really was like branching out beyond just tennis. And I think that's where um, I also see Naomi Osaka heading, you know, into a, a place that's not just sports. It's not just, um, you know, it's not just Vogue. It's it's most likely going to be expanding her, you know, her business or or whatever it is. She's really taking that next step um, that we've seen players like uh, Serena or Federer take in, in their careers.
0: Well said. I mean, I, I think we should also point out that she was at least uh, that last week of August, she was responding to a specific event. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that being the the shooting of Jacob Blake. So let let us hope that uh, we're talking in, in terms of uh, a vacuum here with Naomi Osaka, and there are not similar real world events that uh, you know tr- tr- trigger the the kind of uh, the kind of statement that she felt compelled to make uh, in, in August. Um, let us talk about uh 2021 because I think um it is already, we are in December, and yet we could already say 2021 is not going to be a, a bounce back to normal. There are still uh still still a few tricky hops here. Um most obviously scheduling. The Australian Open now it's official. They are three weeks um I guess, I guess you could say behind schedule that we're now starting February 8th instead of mm-hmm. the middle of January. There is, as, as I mentioned, there's qualifying in the Middle East for the Australian Open. There are events that are off the calendar. There are events that are shifting. There are a lot of restrictions. Um, someone sent me, I, I, I can call this up. I mean, so, someone sent me the, what the players got yesterday as far as quarantine and travel information. And the, the main draw singles entries get a plus two the top 10 doubles entries get plus two, and everyone else, the remaining doubles, the qualifiers, the wild guards, the lucky losers, they're all plus one. Which is one of those things that I, I think fans may not think about for, for a lot of top players. That kind of a, a restricted entourage is, is really significant, and we can roll our eyes. And you know, for, former players have sort of done that you know, back in my day. We, we traveled with a coach and only a coach, um, but the, the fact is, in 2020 and 2021 that's not how players roll and that's really a significant adjustment that maybe we're not um, considering sufficiently. I mean, it's just a sign of the times that uh, the top players travel in a large group and restricting that group really changes preparations and and rhythms and approaches. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see which players choose which members of the entourage is a, you know, I, I think, we're going to learn a lot about players and at some level it might be a bit of a stress test and an insight whether they value the physio over the coach and i think it's going to be interesting to see who, who the hitting partners are and it, i don't know if you saw this rule that when you commit to a practice partner that's your practice partner for uh, for an entire week so i i think um already it's been made clear that at least for q1 at least uh pre-vaccine it's going to be uh, sort of more of the same in, in terms of scrambling and, and adjusting, and um, right. a, a year like no other. Um, what, what else are you sort of? I mean, if we if we spin to, I don't, I don't know, do this as a top five list, and I don't know what what else are you? Uh, what are what are the other storylines, themes, developments you'll be following uh, in twenty twenty one, Jamie?
1: Yeah, well, sort of related to that, I think one note. Um, with the the first few weeks of the calendar settled in uh you know there's there's two tournaments in in early January you know small ATP tournaments uh, you've you you know one here in the US in del rey and then in in Turkey so for me um, I think this of course is usually our our tennis off season and I feel like it's a little bit earlier than than normal or it, it um you know it feels that way at least but uh, for me, I think it's the similar thing that we've discussed when we were, um, you know, everything was shut down during the spring. Where are these players, how are these players going to manage the training and um, the preparation and then sort of just jump right into the Australian Open? I think previously we saw a lot of players play, you know, they would take their off-season time, but then we'd see them in Australia in early January playing exhibitions or um, just tune-ups here and there, and that really set the tone for the, the year. Now, of course, uh, you have players, as you said, who maybe didn't play certain tournaments or they've been um, home for way too long. And so I think the, the way that the schedule is structured now and, as you said, the restrictions um, I'll be really interested to see how players come into Australia, um, especially, you know, the weather a lot of times is is a big factor as well in Melbourne. So um, all of those things combined, I think um, one of the biggest players that we haven't talked about all year because he hasn't played all year um, is Roger Federer. So he was the first one on my list as sort of one of my my top storylines. And of course this week we saw that he, he said, um, you know, at some uh, Swiss event that he hoped he would be hundred percent by October and apparently is still not at that point today. So he, he said that it will be tight for the Australian open. Um, so I'm, I'm interested, uh, you know, he's been, he had the knee surgery and then he went back and had something else done to kind of clean up something from that surgery again so uh, that was a little bit of a a delay in his recovery but he's one person that we obviously haven't talked about much but you know I I don't know what do you think do do you do is this concerning for you in terms of his career do you expect him to just take it slow and and uh, come back and and return to Roger Federer ways as soon as he's healthy?
0: Yeah, I, I think there are a few things going on. One of them is obviously the, the knee surgery, which I, I think it's pretty clear, uh, did, did not go as smoothly as planned and he got a little bit behind in his schedule. Also, he tends to, I mean, he, he's talked about how he, one of the sort of career extenders, one of the great uh, sources of his longevity is the fact that he can take his whole family on the road and they enjoy traveling the world together. Right. Um, in Australia in many years, his parents come as well. So the whole, whole family goes to Australia for January. Um, that I don't think is going to happen. Um, uh, there are some exemptions of this, I'm looking at this, this tennis Australia, uh, FAQ, and there are, there are exemptions for children, but I think his children are have already aged out of that. Um, so I think it's, it's a combination of, of his body, but also his, his rhythms and his, uh, and sort of his his traditions over the year. I think he also mentioned in that same speech that uh, he's really targeting on Wimbledon and the Olympics. Um the, the Olympics are a whole whole other uh sort of segment of this that we can we can talk yeah. about. And I think we're obviously at at the point where and I think the same goes for Serena, it's very strategic where and when you play. And pa- power to them, we never thought, you know, Ten years ago, we never thought we'd be having credible conversations about 39-year-olds pursuing majors. Um, but, but here we are, and I think this is a, a happy development. But I think if, if things aren't 100%, um, you know, Roger Federer winning in Australia on hard courts after a layoff, best of five, that's going to be a, a tall order in the best of times um if anything is less than 100 percent, if he doesn't feel right about the family situation if he doesn't feel right about uh logistics i mean heaven forbid if he doesn't feel right about his knee it's just it's probably not worth it and i suspect um you know i I think most of the top if you look at the look at the fields for the u.s open and the french open um they've been pretty good this is post, post reset I think they were a lot stronger than people than people would have initially suspected. I think top players will play. Um, Djokovic will be there. It looks like Nadal will be there. I, I expect Serena would probably be there. She also gets uh, Olympia, I think, uh, is, is exempt from her plus one. So Serena can bring her daughter. But um, I think better making it to Australia is, is probably pretty doubtful. And then... You know who? Who knows about Indian Wells? Who knows about these spring events? And then I think we're realistically
1: talking about you know, d-
0: does he does he play the clay? But we're really talking about Wimbledon, the Olympics, the U.S. Open, and yeah. then uh, you know by by the U.S. Open he'll be forty years old. So you know you, we we can uh, we can only see what happens.
1: Yeah, I think you raise an interesting point though, um, and. This is, is sort of related to Serena as well, which was, um, you know, another name on my list here. But I think your point about um, almost it, it not being worth it, right? The, the interesting thing this year for me is the, the threshold for different players on whether or not, you know, it's, it's worth it uh, to play a tournament. I think um, in years past, we've seen Federer play and play through injury, play and pull out. Um, we've seen other players do the same thing. You know, and it, it almost um if if a player a a top player skipped a major without even trying, you know, you kind of you kind of knew that it was a serious injury. You know, it had to be a surgery or something that would truly prohibit that player because we we've seen the, you know, wrapped legs and ankles and arms and everything. And so I think for me the most interesting thing um is how how these players determine the you know what's worth it and it's sort of a you know they're they're weighing their their bodies versus the the prize money versus the travel versus the risk. Um there's just so many factors. And I think uh for Serena and Federer particularly um because of their age, because of their you know the time in their careers, the the injuries that they have suffered most recently, uh their families, you know, the list goes on. The that threshold um is is particularly interesting for me uh, and I think how they the decisions they make in 2021 um, will I, I wonder how much those you know will define how um, quickly or um, not quickly we see their careers come to an end.
0: Yeah and I think also this uh... This this period has really laid bare the the range of economic status of these of these tennis players. That um, you know, at the, at the top level, we we're talking about people who have nine figures of net worth, and yet on this form from Tennis Australia, it has this inducement: if you don't take an entourage member, you can get up to seven thousand dollars Australian, so that's about five thousand dollars American, mm-hmm. um, in in the expenses that would have been dedicated to that person. So Tennis Australia clearly thinks that for some, and they're probably right that for some players, an extra $5,000 is going to get them to change their behavior and change their traveling party. Um, you know, $5,000 is, um, probably not getting Serena Williams and Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal to, uh, to, to do much of anything, honestly. So, you know, different players have, have different, um, you know, they're different decisions to make and have different needs. Um, I think the Olympics we should probably touch on real quick because I think it's as if 2021 needed more complication and, uh, but, but by the same token, more opportunity, let us not forget, we are now approaching an Olympic year with the, with the cancellation of Tokyo 2020. So I think it's going to be interesting to see which players show up in Tokyo and how this impacts, how this impacts things as well. Um, you yourself, Jamie, will be Tokyo-bound, which I was happy to see.
1: Yeah, um, uh, hopefully. I mean, that's the thing. We uh, we don't know much about exactly how the structure will be and how things will be there. I think they're sort of figuring that out now. But as of last year, um, at this time, I, I, I was going. But I, I think you're right. I think the, the Olympics um, will be really important this year, as we, we talked about a little bit last year. But For a lot of players, um, that is just as important as those majors.
0: It's also going to be interesting to see how these Olympics, I I think they will be held. I think, uh, as I understand it, there are four different scenarios um, in terms of crowds and and bubbles and and protocol. Tennis players are are ready to roll with this. I mean, most tennis players already have had the experience of playing a, a major event with no crowds. They've already had the experience of, Life in a bubble of of being tested, you know. A, a lot of other athletes that uh, are going to Tokyo will not will not have had that necessarily. Um, let us in these remaining few moments. Um, a- any other thoughts going forward? I mean, we we have a, a goat race that uh, did not change much. I mean, Nadal obviously tied Roger Federer, Djokovic three behind. Serena Williams still at 23 majors. We have, you know, talented young players who. Now we're at this—the uh, inevitable step of can they can they do it again? Can they back it up? I'm thinking, Shavantek and, and Dominic Team, uh, among others. I think Sasha Zverev has a, a potentially interesting 2021 to confront. Um, I- any other themes you'll be uh, themes or storylines you're, you're looking to?
1: Yeah, I think one um, I wanted to mention at, at the beginning of our conversation, um, and this is a- along the lines of your off-court spirit topic, but I think uh, one thing I was happy to see this year was so many people who I never even knew, uh, you know, knew what tennis was uh, actually started to play themselves. I think there was definitely a, um, you know, rise in people going out to the courts to play recreationally and therefore um, a little bit more interest in the game itself, especially once uh, the US Open returned and kind of was the first major back. I had a lot of people reaching out to me just to talk about it because they they knew that, you know, I was involved with tennis. And I think that's really cool um, to see a lot of people getting out. Of course, it's a very good socially distant exercise. Um, and I will say myself, I played more this year than ever before. And it was, um, it was great. It was lots of fun. And, you know, it's challenging. It's, Great workout, and you know there's so many skills to learn. And I think it gives you um, an added appreciation for what these players are doing when you're out there trying to do it yourself. <laughs> um, so my one, uh, I guess, final thought for 2020, but then also looking ahead to 2021 is that I hope the social distance rise in, in tennis participation, if there truly is one, is good not only for you know fans for the game, but also just for uh, you know young kids coming up and and playing for future generations of, of pro tennis
0: Oh, i like that that's great and i think i think you're uh, i think you're totally right i think uh also I've, I've i've had a similar experience i think i i played uh when we were living in connecticut for a few months i i bought you know four dollar cans of balls and that's that's about it you go on to a high school court and you'll probably w- wear out your shoes after a few months but i think uh this, this is not golf, and this is not sailing in terms of expense. And I think that's, that's something else that people discovered as well, that uh, you, you can spend a lot of money playing tennis and go to fancy tennis camps, and also you can put on a pair of shorts and grab a cheap can of balls and a $200 racket last you years and years, and it is not as prohibitively expensive as yeah. you are led to believe. I mean, you know, there's a longer conversation here, but this is, this is where the USTA comes in. And, right. uh, you know, it's everybody loves the U.S. Open and that's what they're associated with. And it's it's fun to run a big event and Jay-Z's in the stands and there's catering. But really, this organization is also about growing the game of tennis recreationally. And uh, I, I would say get, getting people to pick up a new sport or getting people to play a sport more often or f- f- finding kids and getting tennis into schools and youth programs is not as glamorous as eating lobster rolls in a, in a suite, but that's really what tennis needs right now, uh, you know, more than this wildly successful uh, annual event. Um,
1: yeah, in the will, limited
0: time, well, go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I, I was just gonna say, I will say, I, I uh, waited on a lot of lines this year, this summer and and everything to, to play. And I uh, the reason being was that there were a lot of kids out there with their parents or whoever, um, you know, little kids hitting hitting balls and so it was really nice to see that um and i I second you i we came across in one of our quarantine costco trips a discounted deep discounted uh costco size pack of of tennis balls so i'll see your uh uh four dollar pack of balls and raise you a costco size box worth which is now uh you know halfway halfway done um but we we also um you know found it to be very affordable and uh, just really fun to go out there and play when you, you really couldn't do anything else. So.
0: Costco tennis balls sneak onto a high school court or suddenly uh, it's less than your, you know, it's less than Netflix. Um, so real quick, I, I just, I've looked at the time you and I both have uh 10, 15 zooms. So I will just say quickly uh, Mike Costa, who uh, is a friend of ours, Jamie, and has been a guest on this podcast has a terrific comedy special on on comedy central you should all watch it he um played at the university of illinois for craig tiley i will have you know and uh then struck out as a as a comedian he's on the daily show he's very funny he has an hour special go to the hall of fame website um it has you know they they did not have an induction ceremony in newport so it has not been the easiest year at the hall of fame but they have a ton of merch and some really cool uh online exhibits our friend Tom Rinaldi is leaving ESPN for Fox we just hope this means he will somehow figure out a way to stay in tennis uh always enjoy his work and respect how he grinds his teeth when he's assigned to do pre-match interviews um, <laughs> three RIPs that I wanted to pass along Alex Olmedo and Dennis Ralston who I, I believe played to, simultaneously in college and uh and Gordon Forbes who wrote one of the great uh great tennis books handful of summers, which I would encourage you to uh, pass away. three, three of uh, these, these Titans of the sport pass away last week. Um, we will keep the scheduling news coming as we get it. Uh, the ATP has put on their website, the first seven weeks of the year, weeks eight through 13, which include uh, in, in theory, Indian Wells, which again, we, uh, we are hearing is looking for an alternative time of year. Um, Miami is still up in the air and hopefully by Q2, when Pfizer and uh, AstraZeneca and the like do their thing and we all start getting vaccinated, maybe things will optimistically uh, resume some sort of normal. Anyway, it's been, uh, it's been a strange year. Thank you, Jamie, for your, uh, we we have not seen each other face-to-face in in nine months or so, but thank you as always for your, uh, for your uh, collegiality and uh, your, your support here. Thanks to everyone for listening. Um, We will, Continue this via Zoom, I suppose, in, uh, into 2021. But everyone, have a good holiday. Have a good year. May next year be healthier and uh, hopefully feature more tennis.